Hi, this is Jeff Thigpen, Guilford County Register of Deeds. And I'm Carly Malcolm, lead for North Carolina Fellow for Guilford County from the UNC School of Government. And welcome to the Good Grief Podcast. Have you ever lost a loved one and had to figure out what to do? Have you ever felt alone and overwhelmed? Did it make you wonder why on earth this is all so complicated? In this podcast series, we bring together community partners to talk unapologetically about issues of death and dying. We answer questions about funerals, hospice, estates, and more to give our listeners the knowledge they need to make decisions for themselves and their loved ones. We want everyone in Guilford County to know that they're supported, that we live in a community where we cannot only live and live well, but when we die, we can also die well because we care. So we thank you for joining us for the Good Grief Podcast and for taking this step to be better prepared for end-of-life challenges. Good afternoon. This is Jeff Thigpen. This is the Good Grief Podcast. I'm Guilford County Registered Deeds. Today I've got uh, with me Carly Malcolm, who's going to be asking some questions. She is the NC Lead Fellow for the North Carolina Institute of Government, who's working with us on special projects and end-of-life issues. And today we got a very special guest, uh, <laughs> uh, Randall Keeney. And Randall's a good friend of mine, and uh, he's pastor of St. Barnabas Episcopal Church in Greensboro. He's somebody I've known and respected for a long time. I think Back you, you served that you served that congregation since 2006, right? Yes, I think so. That's where I had it. On your Episcopal site, uh, it says, all are welcome at St. Barnabas. You go through, all are welcomed in love without regard to race, nationality, economic status, language, gender, sexual orientation, marital status, age, political, theological status, and you don't ask people to check their brains at the door. No, we don't. Well, that's that's actually a good thing. (laughs) (laughs) Because I've been there a couple times, and I'm glad they didn't check mine. Yeah. Um. You know, and I can I can say this about you, Randall, is that you know, in so many ways, because I've respected you, is that you've you've sought to live out many ways in the community what I would consider the gospel around issues and concerns where people that are at a crossroads and sometimes in the street um, related to everything from race to immigration to the need to offer hospitality and and sometimes justice for people and living it out as a part of your faith tradition. And I, I've really appreciated that about you. Thank you. And today, of course, we are here to talk about uh, something really important that we, a lot of times in this culture, don't like to talk about, and that's death, death and dying. And and so today we've got you on to talk uh, a little bit about your faith tradition and you know how you came to it and how it influences you as it relates to death and dying, but also about All Souls Burial Association, which is new to this area and want to give you the opportunity to share about what that is and why it came to be. But first, I want to kick it off and just get to know you a little better. Where'd you grow up, Randall? Oh, in central Georgia, in a little town called Cochran. Cochran, Georgia. Cochran, Georgia. Where is that at? That's about 40 miles south of Macon. Okay. About 10 miles north of Easton, Eastman, you know, Hawkinsville, Dublin, you know all those places. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I went through Dublin on my way to Ashton Crossroads in Burgall, <laughs> North Carolina. I'm sure you, I'm sure you know where Burgall is. <laughs> and, and so we are, I, hopefully we're both uh, folks who come from humble backgrounds and yeah. have led to greatness here in Greensboro. But um, that's good to know. Um, yeah. How did you come to your faith? Well, I was I, I was reared or raised in it, however you want to say it. Um, my parents were 
church-going people from the time I was born and before. So I remember being in church as a little bitty guy and, you know, bored out of my mind and, <laughs> and uh, falling asleep and kicking the pew in front of me and, and all those sorts of things. So I, I grew up in it. Well, my son's going to be a pastor then. <laughs> <laughs> but um, where'd you go to seminary and all that? Well, I, sometimes I don't like to say that. I went to a seminary in Wisconsin uh, okay. called Neshota House Theological Seminary. And when I was there, it was pretty broad. The theologians and administration was, was pretty middle of the road and included conservative, you know, liberal ideas. Um, sort of after I left, there was a takeover by the evangelical right. And... Uh, so I, I, you know, I hesitate to say Neshota House because some folks think that's a Episcopal Center for the He-Man Woman Haters Club. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, you know, we've ta- you know, we 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 have not shied away from different faith traditions, and uh, you know, I'm finding that there is a spectrum <laughs> of, there is, of belief there within is, your absolutely. denominational structures and faith traditions. So. What got you to St. Barnabas? Um, I went through, was pastor at a church in Clemens, and kind of, just like a lot of folks, went through a divorce and was so depressed, I just kind of didn't do anything for about three years. And during that time, finally, I just decided, I'm going to go back. And so I started interviewing with uh, St. Barnabas. They had an opening, and we went through dinners and conversations and phone calls and Mm-hmm. And, um, and and eventually they called me to be their new rector. You take over for Jim Pravat. Pravat, yeah, yeah. Okay. He retired about six years before I did. Okay, before I came. Yeah. So uh, St. Barnabas is a smaller congregation, I would yeah, guess, over is. off of Jefferson Road in Greensboro. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, Carly, uh, you probably want to help. I've been sitting here doing small talk with you, um, Randall, right. which is all good. We can That's keep fine. going. That's fine. <laughs> but uh, I guess we're going to talk a little bit about the issues of death and dying and ease into that. So, okay. Yeah, we'll just dive right in. Um, could you speak generally just about like how the Christian faith deals with issues of death? I think, you know, depending on what which Christians you're talking to, you know. But overall, I think I can be pretty sure of saying that we see death as a part of life, Mm -hmm. that it's not an end to anything. It is an event, an occurrence, a process through which we go in our existence, in our our lives, very, you know, the God we believe in is eternal. And we believe we live in that eternity, which is to say, eternity is different from the notion of immortality. Mm-hmm. Eternity exists outside of time, that it is simply existence. You know, God said, I am that I am. So we believe mortal life and death are a part of eternity in which there are transitions, and death is one of those transitions. Mm-hmm. And so that idea maybe brings people some comfort as they're grieving? I would hope so. I would hope so. Yeah. Yeah. So then specifically as an Episcopal pastor, what's your approach to spiritual care when you're dealing with people who are suffering from grief and loss? First is to respect that grief and loss completely. Whatever we do, we don't dismiss that. And we don't tr- try to talk people out of being grieved, out of feeling lost. 
that is a part of their lives as well. You know, in as much as it's desperately important to the person, you know, who passed, it's equally important to those who survive. So we try to talk people through that process of learning to live in a space without physical presence of the one that they loved, continuing on the life that they had with that person while they were with them. I remember I had the honor of speaking at a funeral at St. Barnabas a few years ago, Burl Brynn. Yeah. I remember looking out into the people who were attending, and there was a significant number of people who were wheelchair-bound. Yeah. And had very special needs. Yeah. And so I'd expect that in your support for that community, it comes with uh, with a lot of nuances. Right? It does. Those folks are used to celebrating joys with, you know, in a profound way and also living with some grief throughout a lot of their lives and mm-hmm. losing their independence, losing the ability to do something. But at the same time, depending upon one another, you know, to lift one another up emotionally and spiritually. So they have a, a profound spirituality. In yeah. terms of the actual. Like funeral service. Yeah. You know, you, what you they usually have like Old Testament readings, New Testament readings, mm-hmm. you know, people speak. It, we're, I was, we have, we've done a podcast with a member of the Jewish community who was going through how they do the actual services. Can you kind of just speak to, you know, the, the 101 of Episcopal <laughs> funeral services just to, to share that? Funeral services. Or is there a 101? <laughs> you know, it may not be. Well, there's a basic understanding that you receive the remains of those who have died. You receive them into the church where their spiritual foundation has been built. Mm-hmm. As a part of that worshiping community, you receive them for the last time. You welcome them through the doors. You say prayers for the reception of the body. And you bring them in, and you surround them with the people who loved them and cared for them and were members of that community, and you read from Scripture, and you sing hymns that most of which express an idea of resurrection. A funeral service for us is a resurrection story. Mm. It's an Easter service. It's not a Good Friday service. Mm -hmm. And you bring them, and you sing, and you tell stories, and at most of them, or a lot of them, one of the central acts is that we celebrate the Eucharist, the offering of Christ, of his body and his blood, and and we welcome people to that table, that feasting table. We bring with us in our spirits, in our minds, the person who has gone away. And it's a way that we, you know, celebrate their lives and their presence with us before we commend them into the hands of God. Mm-hmm. In terms of that leading to the burial portion of that celebration of life. Mm-hmm. And so it leads us into All Souls Natural Burial Association. Yes. Where did that concept come from, and how did it start here, and how were you a part of that? There's a, a group in town that has been talking about death and dying for a long time, and it was an organization called the Funeral Consumers Alliance of the Piedmont, and it's sort of grown and developed and changed, but I was a part of that group for quite a while, and it had pastors in it, lay people in it, funeral folks in it, Christians, agnostics, all sorts of folks 
who just wanted to be able to talk about death and dying. You know, they had questions. They knew people that had questions, but we'd been sort of taught that it's one of those verboten subjects. So, and the Funeral Consumers Alliance is a group that tries to teach about death and dying and also hold the funeral industry to a place of responsibility. So when people die, the family doesn't go bankrupt, Yeah, you know, trying to celebrate their lives. And we're working to get someone uh, within that group to, to be a part of the podcast. To- Just offshoot of that, there were a group of people that brought up this whole idea of natural burial, and it was new to me. So I was part of a group that continued to discuss it. And what natural burial is, basically, is going back. It's not a new thing. It's going back to treating death and dying and the way families and communities respond to it in the way that families responded to it before the advent of embalming and a developing sort of technological practice that existed with, came to exist within the funeral industry, where families and worshiping communities take responsibility and take care of their own people. And also the recognition that the way we were doing burial was, in the eyes of many, an insult, you know, to the creation, not only the person who had died with chemical treatments and all those sorts of things, but also to the environment. Mm -hmm. We're burying tons and tons of concrete and steel and toxic chemicals and all sorts of things. And and basically what we're doing is trying to avoid the real consequences of death, Mm. you know, to push off the decomposition of the body, to make people up to look like they're alive, put astroturf around the grave so it doesn't (laughs) even look like there's a hole in the ground. (laughs) You know, all these little things that we do to Mm. sort of push away the whole idea of death, Mm. but instead to embrace it and Mm. to see it as a part of our loving relationships with those who go before us. So there are the ecological piece of it. Yeah. Um, There is the cost of funerals that, you know, in terms of looking at uh, if you get a casket burial, if you get cremated, the, the whole economic models around death and dying. You know, one of the things that I told you when we talked a couple of days ago is I was like, you know, somebody did tell me that uh, a family shouldn't go bankrupt because they lose someone they love. Yeah. And that's a powerful statement. You it know? is. And I also see there's this similarity in approach around the all natural funeral concept with other faith traditions, the Jewish and Muslim faith traditions, as well as kind of what you're saying historically is that there was a time where we didn't do all this. And Jewish and Muslim folk have been doing doing natural burial since day one. Most of them have not succumbed to, you know, all the trappings that developed around in 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 funeral practices, which actually sort of started in the early to mid-1800s, and then really didn't get passed on to the wider public until the Civil War and afterwards, when they began to embalm bodies in faraway battlefields in order to ship the remains back. Mm -hmm. And right after that, embalming became 
almost a sign of affluence for people, and then a sign of, you know, the more you spend, the more you loved them. Mm. You know, you don't want to yeah. deny them the best send-off you can give them sort of thing. And, you know, then it developed, in, you know, all sorts of just sort of bizarre ideas. Mm-hmm. When did it open? When did what open? The burial session. <laughs> you well, it, oh, open. that. Open for business. <laughs> well, where is it located? In, uh, it, it is in the uh, wooded area behind St. Barnabas, okay. Episcopal Church on Jefferson Road. We have about four, three, four, five acres back okay. down there next to a creek. And we were looking for a way to use that property. And this group that started talking about natural burial was looking for a place to do it. They thought they had two or three places in the region, and every one of them fell through. And then finally, they came to us and said, what are you doing with all that property back there? So we started talking about it. Mm -hmm. So now, when I think of sort of like a typical funeral, the Mm -hmm. kind I'm most familiar with would be, you know, there's a service, there's a wake. And then maybe a casket or an urn in the burial. So how does that look similar and different from a natural burial? Well, in, in a natural burial, there's first no embalming, okay? There, nothing non-biodegradable is put in the ground. So typically, when someone is given a natural burial, they're wrapped in a, simply in a shroud, and they're taken, and they're buried in the ground probably... Four feet deep, the whole notion of six feet deep was created to have space for, you know, a vault, big casket, and, you know, and all that. And, you know, you bury them, you know, a little bit more shallow because that allows the body to decompose. And it's just sort of, you know, going back to doing things the way they were before embalming and before all the trappings that were put on that lead, you know, full-blown quote, traditional funeral to be ten, twelve, fourteen thousand dollars mm-hmm. And this is pretty inexpensive, and, and it's also the way families and faith traditions did burial for thousands of years before embalming became the, and caskets and balls and all those things became normative. Mm-hmm. So we mentioned the, the economic, the ecological aspects there. Are there any other factors that folks should think about when they're considering if a natural burial is the right thing for them or their loved one? Well, natural burial sort of respects the environment in that we're not taking a space of ground on the earth for one person to own in perpetuity forever. You know, you go back to the ground, you returned to the earth, and you become a part of the recreation of the world. As much as the earth gave the gift of life, even in Scripture, in Genesis, it talks about God taking mud, dirt, and out of the dust forming people, uh, that we come from that. We come from this wonderful creation, and then we are returned to it. To me, that's one of the most profound things, is that we're not separating ourselves. Hmm from the creation. We're, we're, we're actually gifting ourselves back to it. Wow. Yeah. Um, and you and I share a couple of friends yeah. um, that we... Don't name them all. ...transitioned uh, a few <laughs> years ago. Two of them in particular, uh, Logie Meacham, yeah. uh, blues folk singer, and yeah. uh, we both spent time with him near the end of, the end of that yeah. time. And 
Oh, I'm, I'm just trying to come up with words to describe the former bishop of the Episcopal Church in the state of Mississippi, Chip Marble. Chip Marble, yes. um, who's a dear friend, I think, to both of us. And yeah. I actually remember being at a facility where Chip was in the last few weeks of his life, and I think I was leaving and you were coming in. I don't know if you remember that, but what I'm getting at is, you know, we live in a society where talking about death and dying is elusive and it's hard. And sometimes people don't want to talk about it. Yeah. And, you know, how do we create a culture where we have more meaningful conversations about death and dying? I mean, I think it involves individuals. I mean, people as groups need to support that. We yeah. need to have systems and culture that yeah. makes for that. What do you see? I mean, you know, in terms of the faith tradition and practically, as you kind of say, a lot of times in the burial process, we try to ignore death in yeah. some ways. Yeah, and and or we try to seek comfort in ways yeah. that may give us some comfort, but we could, you know, we could probably have a more openness, not only in preparing for it, but understanding death as a part of life. Yeah. What do you think about all that? Is How do we talk about it? How do we create a culture that, that views it as okay? Hopefully, those of us who are not particularly afraid of talking about it just continue talking about it. And there are those groups around that bring the idea up, you know, but ultimately, there is no avoidance of the conversation. It's just when you have it. Exactly. Yeah. It's just when you have it. And I think there's a powerful place where you can have that conversation with someone who's about to go through it who sort of embraces that whole idea and giving people permission to talk about it. A lot of folks just don't feel like they can or should. I think we need to invite people to those conversations. I went with my sister for about two years living with us and going through a process of dying. She was diagnosed with a particularly ugly thing called multiple system atrophy. And she had, she's living in Colorado, doing wonderfully, having a great life. And then that hit and she came to live with us. And that whole process of going through grief for and dealing with the reality of a pending death for a couple of years was such a, a wonderful opportunity for the two of us to talk about things that we hadn't talked about uh, because it meant that the moment was quite precious. When sudden tragedies happen, we're sometimes robbed of that. We don't have that opportunity, at least with the person who's passing, who passed away. But the people who survived, you know, sit around, tell stories, you know, cry with one another and, and have those conversations then. So the conversations are happening. It's just a matter of when they happen in a lot of ways. And one of the groups that was meeting down at Scuppernon Books, yeah. I think it was called Cafe Mortal or something. And there was a, a gentleman in um, Greensboro who was dying and wanted to have natural burial. And they went through, a, a, you know, all sorts of conversations. And they actually had a party for him mm. before he died. And they brought in a cardboard casket that you can get from funeral homes that are pretty cheap, maybe free. And they brought it in and sat it down, and his grandchildren and children and friends got magic markers and crayons and colored it <laughs> and decorated it and wrote things on it. Yeah. And, and it became a way for them to sort of cope with his impending death and then his death. 
and his life was celebrated not only after he died, but before he died. And from what I understand, he had a wonderful time there. And so, you know, the more we're willing and able to talk about it, the more able we are to embrace the preciousness of the moment. Mm. That is an incredible articulation of celebrate life in death Yeah, in a way that um, – affirms uh, the individual. It also is the context of having a discussion around these things that are really hard to talk about. Yeah. And and that's why we're doing these podcasts, is to put it on the table. And yeah. a lot of this is going to be informational. And um, we know that in Greensboro and in this area, we have a lot of people every single day who go to work and try to help create a context for an environment where we can have these discussions. And I think we want to be able to put it out there and help people get good information and also think about these things in ways that lift up the quality of our discussions and our interactions. And so around issues of death and dying and end of life. And so it was really good to to have you in here, both to talk about your faith tradition and why talking about these things are really important and looking at uh, all souls as an option. Mm-hmm. for folks to consider and why it is so important to put that on the table. So, yeah, and it doesn't just have to be all souls, quite frankly. We'd, we'd love to talk to folk, but, you know, there's a natural burial, green burial place outside of Asheville called Carolina Sanctuary, I think. There's one in South Carolina called Ramsey Creek, and they're popping up because a lot of folks are simply beginning to embrace this whole idea. So, yeah. Um, well, thank you for coming in and talking about it and if folks want to learn more about this, they can I guess Google All Souls Natural Burial Association. Yeah. Go online and get more information and uh Randall, really appreciate you coming in and talking about it. You're more than welcome. I appreciate the invitation. On behalf of myself and my stellar assistant uh Carly Malcolm, thank you for coming in. To the Good Grief Podcast. All right. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Good Grief Podcast. We want your feedback. You can visit our website at www.guilforddeeds.com. You can also email us at endoflife at guilfordcountync.gov or find us on Twitter with the handle at guilford underscore ROD. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and until next time, take care.